Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to On the Podcast. <laughs> A short episode format where we talk about really anything we want to. <laughs> To give you time to kill time while you're doing your business on the pot. Or maybe you just got into an Uber and you're like, I really don't feel like talking right now. And this guy seems really chatty or gal. (laughs) So I'm just going to figure out a way to make it obvious that I don't want to talk. Toss your headphones in and learn something. I'm Liz. And I'm Katie. Hey, Liz. Hey, Katie. What are we talking about today? Uh, I think a lot of people have heard of this. Uh, so I'm going to be pretty quick about the actual story of mm-hmm. it. There's a little bit more that I want to go into after it that is uh, fascinating. So the story is... You ever heard of D.B. Cooper? I have heard of him. Stole some money, jumped out of a plane... Never to be seen again. There you go. That's it. (laughs) Thanks for listening. (laughs) So D.B. Cooper, the story of D.B. Cooper is that on November 24th, 1971, uh, there was a flight out of Portland that was set to take off around two o'clock on the Northwest Orient Airlines over to SeaTac, a.k.a. Seattle Tacoma Airline. Quick flight, 30 minute flight. One of the passengers who boarded the plane had a ticket for Dan Cooper. This man was carrying a briefcase, a paper bag. He sat in the last row. Uh, He ordered a bourbon and seven up. Get me some good flight tipsy. I'm just going (laughs) to, honestly, the next time I want a seven and seven or like a bourbon and seven, I'm just going to order the DB Cooper and see what they say. (laughs) See what happens. (laughs) Uh, He had dark hair, brown eyes, he was 5'10", and he was wearing a suit with a thin tie. Just uh, just stuff for later to note. Uh, So there was a crew of six people, and there were 37 passengers uh, on board. Shortly after takeoff, D.B. Cooper handed a piece of paper to the flight attendant, Florence Schaffner, and she thought it was just like a lonely businessman giving her... (laughs) His like phone a number. Love note. Yeah, yeah. And so she just like was like, "Thank you," and like put it in her purse. <clears throat> and he goes, uh, "No, you should, you should read that note." She's like, "Okay." And she opens it up, and it says something along the lines of like, um, "I have a bomb, and you should sit next to me." Mm-hmm. So she gets up, she sits next to him. D.B. Cooper opens up this paper bag Mm -hmm. and inside it, she sees, um, you know, it looks like dynamite with some wires attached to it. And he tells Florence his demands, which were $200,000 by 5 p.m. with two front facing parachutes and two back facing parachutes. So she takes these demands up to the captain, William Scott. Billy. Bill, Bilbo Scott. <laughs> <laughs> and and Captain Scott ends up telling the FBI. So the FBI scrambles to get their money. Uh, and he says, you know, when we land, I, I'm not going to release these passengers until I get the parachute and the parachutes and the money. So they land, the money comes on, the parachutes come on. And the passengers leave. 
according to the flight attendant, D.B. Cooper says, this is not because I have a grudge against your airlines. I have a grudge. So that's great. Oh, cool. Cool, cool. Good, good <laughs> people to take it out on an airline. Can I also just say, like, how significantly different today's airline industry world is that, like, you could just walk onto a plane with a bag full of dynamite. Well, we and won't, like, we won't get into it because... Can't take my hand sanitizer. Yeah, we won't, right. <laughs> we won't get into it, but, but it did end up changing the way that um, airline security was ran. So after the, after the pa- passengers have left, the crew still stays on. That's his demands. And he tells them to fly southeast towards Mexico City. So they're late taking off. They end up, uh, there was like a mix up with the fuel trucks. They take off at 7.40 p.m. He requests that the, um, the flight stairs be deployed so he can get out. All of the flight attendants are like, well, if you do that, like we're all getting sucked out into the air. Mm-hmm. So he allows them to go into the cockpit. By 8 o'clock, the stairs are deployed, and the pilot says, hey, do you need any help? And the last response they get from D.B. Cooper is no. So they assume that sometime between 8 and like 8.13, he left the plane, uh-huh. which is somewhere around Mount St. Helens, and he was never to be seen of again. But that. Uh, so there was so the fbi steps in to investigate right yeah and they find just a few things of physical evidence it's the black tie clip uh, a mother of pearl clip and then eight filter raleigh filter tipped raleigh cigarette butts and that's it on the plane on the plane Uh uh-huh and like they they reach out to casinos or trying to see, hey, is this is this money going to be circulating through any of this stuff? Nothing. Yeah. In 1980, so nine years later, mm-hmm. eight year old Brian Ingram was uh, vacationing in Vancouver, Washington, and he found fifty eight hundred dollars of cash washed up ashore on the Columbia River. <laughs> I would love to be that <laughs> right well it was beat up money it was i don't know that anybody would take it so the fbi takes it and they and uh they connect it to the db cooper money uh-huh. um and the fbi continued to investigate this whole thing to try and figure out who um who was the perpetrator and in 2016 they've sus- they suspended their search so they spent a long time looking for him and they never found him <laughs> long time lots of resources good job guys. lots of resources but i guess if you hand somebody like two hundred thousand dollars and they just get away with it you're gonna spend some time looking for him yeah yeah well and yeah so it's the mystery is is so interesting there are a ton of suspects there have been a ton of of suspects over the years. Yeah, because so they don't. So D.B. Cooper, like, didn't, was on no registry, didn't really exist besides that plane ticket. Correct. And, I mean, they have a sketch that they drew of him based on, you know, what the crew described him as. And then a new sketch came out, like, later in 2011. And, you know, there, there are people that have been connected to these sketches, but... Um, but nothing has been conclusive on who it would be. I wanted to talk a little bit about some of these suspects that I thought were kind of unique and intriguing and, yeah. um, you know, cause I like, I like a good, um, m- mystery. I'm into it. Yeah. A, a whodunit. 
a who done it as, <laughs> they, like, as they say it's like that game guess who guess who love that game and you would always guess the guy with the butt chin <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, is it somebody with a butt chin <laughs> Um, so, so a few people to note, there were, there were, like I said, a handful of people that, that were lookalikes to these sketches that, you know, weren't, uh, the FBI could not connect them to, mm-hmm. um, Richard McCoy was a copycat. He, in 1972, he did basically the same thing out of Denver, but he asked for $500,000. And once he parachuted out and landed, the FBI found him. Oh, the good serial, one. Yep. The serial killer John List was a suspect. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, he murdered his... He's a family murderer. He's a family assassinator, as they say. Mm-hmm. And then <clears throat> Barbara Dayton uh, was born male, was a pilot, and then trans- transitioned to female, Barbara Dayton. And, um, you know, at the time there weren't any female pilots, and so they thought maybe she was the one who did it to be like well, screw you airlines for not hiring female pilots, but like dressed up in, in male form. Yeah. Anyway, those are cool, but there are more <laughs> interesting ones. So I'll start with uh, Kenneth Peter Christensen. Um, his brother Lyle saw a documentary in 2003 about D.B. Cooper, and he started suspecting his brother, his late brother. His brother passed away in 1999. So he... he like reached out to the FBI. He reached out to a bunch of people and they were like, no. So he hired a private investigator in 2010. Uh, Kenneth, his brother was a world war II paratrooper. He looked really similar. He liked bourbon. He was a smoker. Um, and, but the FBI basically looked into it and said, there was a complete absence of direct incriminating evidence. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, okay. Hey, my brother likes bourbon. I think he might be D.B. Cooper. Yeah. Well, and like a lot of these other suspects are like, they're like paratroopers. They're like, they're war vets. So yeah. You know. So, so have experience jumping out of planes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, another one was Jack Kofelt. Um, he was a known con man. In 1972, he started claiming to be D.B. Cooper to his former cellmate. Uh and he's claimed that he jumped out of the plane. He landed near Mount Hood. He injured his leg, which is why he lost the briefcase. Mm-hmm. Um, but the challenge was that he looked like he was in his mid fifties when it happened. And everybody described the, the crew member described DP DB to be in his mid forties. Um, and he did, you know, Jack Kofeld did have injuries that would match up to a bad parachute accident. Um, but the FBI said it's not him because there were differing details in his story and the actual story of what happened. Hmm. He seems like the most logical one so far of what you've told me. Though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's more logical ones, but I'm not oh. talking about those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> this last one, I think, is more convincing than all these other ones. This is Lynn Doyle Cooper, who was a Korean war vet. Uh, in 2011, his niece Marla came forward, suspecting that he he was DB Cooper. She remembers being eight years old and her and her uncle Lynn and another uncle planning something very mischievous at their grandmother's house, and talking about the use of expensive walkie-talkies. This was the day before the hijacking. Mm. So the next day, her uncles are supposedly gone 
out turkey hunting. Yeah. When 305 was hijacked, flight 305. Uh-huh. So they come home from turkey hunting, uh, and Lynn is, is bloody. He's covered in blood, which he claims because it was from a car accident. Marla also remembers that he was obsessed with the Canadian comic hero, Dan Cooper. Mm. Mm. His last name is Cooper, though, already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, you know, it's probably like why, yeah, I guess right? So. <laughs> well, it, and, and this is great, right? So in 2011, all this happened. This is why another sketch came out. And the sketch looked similar to Lynn Dole Cooper. However, the FBI took DNA from his guitar and it did not match the DNA from the oh, time. No, man. I know. Mm, that's disappointing. Yep. So it's, you know, to this day, it's an unsolved mystery. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting. Mm-hmm. It's so cool. There's a ton of suspects. Like I said, if you're interested in finding out more about it, you can find it on the World Wide Web. Ah, there you go. All right. Mystery not solved. (laughs) (laughs) Mystery continues. (laughs) It's one of those weird things that like that's that's probably just going to be it'll be like the the deep throat guy and somebody Mm -hmm. confesses on their death better. But then I guess can you believe them? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm like the Zodiac killer. If we'll ever find out. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Liz. You're welcome. That was very interesting. You know what's inside my body now? I sure do. It's a little bit of knowledge. Thanks for listening. Bye.